I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. A few weeks ago, I sat in my church... And I listened as my pastor laid out the reasons we are watching this war in Israel right now. And I wanted to talk about this today because I think so many of us are talking about the war in Israel from our perspective and very passionately from our perspective, but maybe not fully understanding the background and why we're passionate about it. And the background, of course, goes back thousands of years. We're living in the present, but there's a real reason that this happened that happened many, many years ago. In this sermon, he talked about Christianity and Islam and what Muslims believe and why we see this conflict once again ripping lives apart in that region of the world. My pastor agreed to join me today to share this with all of you, and I find it fascinating, and I think you will too. I think it's actually going to clear up a lot of the noise you're hearing. I believe that his message is going to bring people together who are actually willing to hear what he has to say. It's not a message of division. It's a message of explanation and really understanding both sides of the argument, which I don't think we're willing to take a lot of time to sit down and do oftentimes when we feel passionate that we're on one side or the other. So I think that you're going to hear a lot of answers to your questions. And before we get to all of those answers to your questions, you know that I'm always asking you how you feel about your health, because I believe you can't put a price on your health. And I want you to know that I stay energized and I keep doing what I love every day because I get the maximum servings and nutrition of fruits and vegetables. I rely on Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule to give me the maximum nutrition of 31 real whole fruits and veggies every day. Balance of Nature is giving all of my listeners 35% off any first preferred order plus free shipping with promo code TUTOR. Just go to balanceofnature.com and enter promo code TUTOR to get started today. Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule are powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process, keeping the maximum nutrition intact for you. Put your health first with Balance of Nature fruits and veggies in a capsule. Get 35% off your first preferred order shipped to you free with promo code TUTOR at balanceofnature.com. 
I feel confident about my health because of Balance of Nature. And you can check out the testimonials from people just like you on their website to see how it's making a difference for others. Go now to balanceofnature.com and get 35% off your first preferred order shipped to you free with promo code TUTOR. And now that you know how to be healthy, let's talk about your health and faith and what we're discussing right now every single day, which is this war in Israel. I want to welcome in my pastor, Pastor Dave Wissen. He is the teaching pastor right here in West Michigan at Harvest Church. Pastor Dave, thank you for coming on. Oh, great to be on your show. Thanks for having me and chatting today. Yes, absolutely. So I, I listened to this sermon and it was like, wow, this is what so many of us don't understand. And you really, you start from the beginning. And I mean, we're even talking about where we we have Abraham and, and everything separates. And I think that's a, an area where a lot of us just feel like, you know, Hagar just went off and we were done with her. But there's a story there. And I was just, I just want you to kind of explain that to people so they understand this is a part of our, our history, our collective history. You call it a familial issue, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this conflict that we're kind of looking at every day in the news, it dates all the way back to over 4,000 years ago. And God makes a promise in Genesis 12 to Abram, he'll later be called Abraham, that through his line, there's going to be blessing. He's going to receive a land. He's going to receive, he's going to become a great nation. And that promise is made, but it isn't fulfilled right away. I mean, 25 years go by. Abraham doesn't have a son. His wife, Sarah, is barren, and they begin to doubt the promises of God. Never a great idea. And what happens is they um, we do it. <laughs> uh, we do it. We do it all the time. And uh, they doubt the promises. And the idea is hatched by Sarah that Abraham will have his offspring through her maidservant, Hagar. And the result of that is a child by the name of Ishmael. And that creates, as you can imagine, um, a lot of family tension and a lot of family squabble because all of a sudden Hagar believes and that that is the firstborn. Um, Sarah becomes jealous of her handmaiden, but lo and behold, God does fulfill his promises and Sarah becomes pregnant and where um, Abraham uh, had now two sons, both uh, Isaac and Ishmael, the debate really between Islam and Christianity all the way to this date is who or which son is the recipient of the promises that God made all the way back in Genesis 12 and the covenant that he made in Genesis 15. And then when we fast forward to Genesis 22, there's a child of sacrifice and a child of promise. Christians believe that that is Isaac. Uh, Islam believes and teaches that that is actual Ishmael. So the question and what we're seeing play out in front of us in the news every day is who does this land belong to? Who did, in essence, who did God give it to? Did he give it to the descendants of Ishmael or did he give it to the descendants of Isaac, both sons of Abraham? Well, and I like the fact that you talk about the in in the Muslim culture and the Muslim religion you can't take over land once once they control the land. And, and that is really where this conflict is, is that their their core belief is that once they control land, it cannot be taken back by another group. 
Yeah. So in, in the case of um, you've got the Arab League of Nations, and, and one of the things I would even encourage your listeners to do is just pull up a map, just Google a map of kind of the Arab League of Nations in relation to where Israel is. It, it's pretty astounding how Israel is kind of bordered on every side by um, people, a people group that is often set on seeing them not be uh, present in the land. And I'm saying that as nice as I can. Um, but what you've got is... Um, uh, that whole um, debate of whose land does this belong to, what the uh, Quran would teach is that if um, Islam takes over land, because they're not just a religious movement, they're also a political movement. And if a country becomes a Muslim country, and then later on they sacrifice some of that land or some of that land is taken back from them, they have permission, they're actually obligated to fight to keep control of that land, which explains why they're so aggressive in recapturing the nation of Israel and getting that back under Palestinian control. But by nature, I mean, it, the religion is not, sometimes people say that the their religion is a religion of violence and jihad, but that you preached that that's not really what the religion is about. Yeah, what I would say is um, I think your typical Muslim neighbor is not the issue. They they have a set of beliefs. They believe that, you know, Allah is God alone and that Muhammad is his prophet. They're trying to live peaceably. Uh, they are trying to follow their faith the same way that we want the religious freedoms for us to follow our beliefs as Christians in this country. But where this becomes a problem is must, uh, Islam is different than Christianity in that it is viewed more as a national movement than an individual conversion. And I touched on that in the message that I preached. Um, Islam has two objectives. They want to see people convert to Islam, but they also want to see Islam spread and, base, and basically eventually become a global religion. That's the objective. And I, I think that that's what a lot of people are seeing in Western Europe right now is there's a lot of Islamic temples or whatever. I mean, like what, I don't even know what they, a mosque, I guess, a mosque. There's mm -hmm. a lot of mosques moving and there's a lot of um, the Islamic culture coming in, a lot of refugees coming in. And there's been kind of this like, yes, we want to welcome everybody in this attitude of we want to welcome everybody, maybe not with the understanding of once these folks are there, it's really their intent that you join their religion or you're gone. And you talked about it being an, an easy religion to join, which I found fascinating because I never think about it's hard to be a Christian. You have to fight to be a Christian. Go through a little bit why you say it's an easy religious to, religion to join. Yeah, I, I think what I stressed was was just simply um, when you uh, become a Muslim, the, the, the process of becoming a Muslim is fairly simple. You basically uh, recite the creed in front of uh, witnesses that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Once you have joined that religion, the rules are very concise and they're very, very clear. You're required to pray five times a day facing Mecca. You're required to give X percentage to the poor. You're required during your lifetime to make one pilgrimage to Mecca. You fast between sunrise and sunset a month a year during Ramadan. It's very, very, hey, this is what is expected of you if you are a Muslim. But all of that, Tudor, it puts you in a camp of, your religion is a works-based religion, and your acceptance mm. by God is based off what you do in your performance. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always argue in in our Christian faith, if, you know, people, there are people like, oh, I've been good my whole life. I've done all of this. So I, I've got my space. I've got a good spot up there, you know, and Christianity is based on your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ. And that is, you know, once you've been saved, you've been saved and you have that space. But I, I think it's interesting to me because I spent a lot of time with our Muslim families here in the state of Michigan when I was campaigning. And you could tell that they were kind of like, you guys screwed this up. You let people do whatever they wanted. Grace is not a good thing. You know, you'd be, you're not very moral anymore. You talk about the Muslim faith being very moral. And so I do think that's also a conflict because these groups are looking at us and saying, but you can tell me that Christianity is good, but you guys are really messed up. So how do you how do you explain that to people? Well, again, it comes from the Muslim perspective that it's not only an individual conversion, but it's kind of a, a national movement. So from mm-hmm. a Muslim's perspective, if you live in one of these countries that is Muslim dominated, a couple things. One, I would argue you don't have a lot of freedom to be anything other than Muslim in mm-hmm. those countries. 
but they look at the Western civilization, take the United States, for example, and they see the moral decay within our country. And they either blame that on Christianity or at least attribute the decline to the ineffectiveness of, of Christianity to be able to hold any moral high ground. So they're looking at it from a country to country basis. And I mean, the, the fact of the matter is we live in a very postmodern and post Christian culture here in the United States right now. That's one problem, but it's really not even a cultural issue. I understand that in my community, I've got a lot of people that don't share my convictions or my beliefs. But what you've seen is the church in many ways to accommodate what's going on in culture. They've actually compromised their beliefs. And that's where the chaos ensues. No, oh, I mean, that was a main theme when I would campaign and talk to Muslim families. They're like, why do you guys let this happen? Because obviously we were at the time looking at some of this pornography in schools. And that was really what we were hearing from that community. Like, what is happening? How could this be acceptable? How could you have ever let this happen? And I, it was sort of a sense of, hey, we're newer here. We came mm -hmm. here in the 20s. You know, you guys have been here for 200 years. How'd you screw this up? Well, and, and, and I do think that we live in a culture where um, freedom has somewhat been redefined and nobody gets to tell me what to do and I get to do whatever I want. And you've got to be OK with that. And, and that, I think, is a view of freedom that is um, a little bit new and it lacks the undertones that we had early in our country of, of men and individuals and politicians. And, and I don't mean to use a real old fashioned word here, but the word I choose is unction. That we're going to do the right thing independent of the personal consequences that that could produce. So all of a sudden, all we're celebrating, I, I really, the biggest virtue in our culture today is acceptance. It's, it's the, the greatest virtue. It's the thing that we value the most and where that kind of, um, uh, makes Christianity more difficult in our context? Is there some things that a holy God has said, some things that are right, some things that are wrong? And, and do you have convictions on those things? Well, and I think that we've seen, I mean, I've heard people say, I don't want to go to that church or I don't want to be in church because they're going to tell me all these things that I've done wrong. And that is that, you know, you are being convicted of your own sin and we are a culture that doesn't want to be. I mean, I've been thinking just this week, I've been kind of mulling over the story of Jesus birth in a different way, because obviously I was attacked for my life view, but we were sitting at a game recently and the person next to me had a child who was cheering on the younger sister, but the child was born to mom and dad when they were 17, you know? And I'm mm -hmm. like, today, that's, that's not acceptable, you know? And people don't want to be told. And then two, two families down is a Down syndrome child and mom is playing and keeping him out. And she looks at me and she's like, oh, she, he, he's just so active. And I'm like, what? These are blessings. Such great blessings. And yet in society today, we've become a society where we have said convenience and what I want is more important than morality. And, and it really does go to morality. And I, and I can see how that creates conflict. People say that religion is what's creating conflict, but it's the differences in what we're allowing and people seeing this this destruction of society that I believe is causing the division. 
And, and you know, again, going back to the idea that Islam is more of a works-based relation or a, a religion, when I look at Christianity, true Christianity, and, and we've muddied the waters quite a bit. The church hasn't done a great job of this, but the gospel is actually very clear. The Old Testament lays out who God is. He's a God of love. He's a creator God, but he's also a God of wrath, and he's a God that is holy. And we're given um, 10 commandments that, you know, and then the rest of the law. But the purpose of the law, does, it never saved us. All it did was show us that we needed a savior. And the key ingredient in Christianity that makes it different than other religions, it's not based off we do. It's what God did on our behalf. What's required of us is repentance. And today, if I suggest, well, what you're doing is wrong and it needs to be repented from, uh, that is not met well within a cultural context. But yet that's the gospel. That's true of you. That's true of me. All of us need repentance. There's and, something else and, that you said during that sermon, and that was that it there's no there's no you have to have a lot of faith to follow the muslim religion because there's no witnesses there's no there's no storytelling this is all from a, a prophet who was illiterate they couldn't even write down the story and, and i found that fascinating because again thinking of the story of the birth of jesus i'm like such interesting witnesses I mean, we really had such interesting witnesses. Why choose the shepherd in the field? It's not what we would have. Why mm -hmm. choose Mary? You know, we would have had him in a kingdom where people came in from all over the world and said, oh, this is definitely the next king, the king of all nations, you know? And you cannot deny that the story was, we were told this would happen and then these things happened. Yes, yeah, as, as we're looking at Christmas this week, my, some of my favorite characters in the Christmas story are the wise men. What, what are these guys doing showing up from the East? And, and if you study the Old Testament, one of the things that you'll learn is Daniel was a prophet in captivity in Babylon. He was in the East. And because of his ability to interpret dreams, uh, we're told in the book of Daniel that he was actually made Lord of the Magi. And he was giving his prophecies in Babylon. And then five, six hundred years later, you've got wise men showing up in the East that had studied Daniel's prophecies. And they were so precise as it related to the return of Christ that all biblical criticism up until about 100 years ago said Daniel had to be written after the birth of Christ. The, the prophecies are too specific. There's no way that front run his birth. Same with the book of Isaiah. But then, Tudor, what happened was we discovered in some Bedouin caves these these scrolls, the um, uh, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what happened is you found the Isaiah scroll, the entire manuscript of Isaiah with Isaiah 53 describing in detail how Jesus would die, written centuries before he lived. You've got uh, Daniel 9 from the book of Daniel, prophecies when Messiah would come, very, very specific, specific enough that wise men knew to be looking for it at the time of his birth. Dozens of Old Testament prophecies, you don't have that at the foundation of Islam. You've got Muhammad as, in some cases, a nondescript man in his middle ages, walking out into a cave, coming back saying he saw the vision of an angel, received this, and reciting back to them the basic tenets that would eventually become the Quran. It's very different. He didn't fulfill prophecy. Jesus did because he's God. One other thing that you talked about, which I don't think me was meaningful to any of us until I heard this really was 
the meaning of the word Hamas, because we hear Hamas constantly now. We think, well, this is a terror organization. I mean, you've you've seen uh, I think it's the queen of Saudi Arabia come out and say that this is what they need to do. We need to support Hamas. Hamas is the government there. And if we're saying it's just a terror group, we're not giving them enough credit. They are the government there. They have control of the people. But the name is very meaningful, and I wasn't aware of this. Explain what you told us about the name Hamas. Well, yeah, actually, its roots uh, date all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 6. And describing um, the time where Noah is chosen uh, before a flood to basically save humanity, it says that the heart of every man was on evil continually. And it says that the earth was filled with violence. That word violence is the word Hamas. And you can look at the word Hamas. I understand that it's an uh, uh, an Arabic abbreviation uh, for something else, but it's not lost on the Israeli people that the root of that root goes all the way back to Genesis and it stands for violence. It's, I mean, and you think about that. I mean, there is a, certainly a reason to put that name out there because it does, it's like when you talked about Allah Akbar and the call is is to put fear into the hearts of non-believers. That's what that's why they yell that out because they say everybody who who hears this who is non-believer will fear it. I mean there is definitely power in these words that they use. And you look at just the October 7th attack, I mean violence doesn't cover that. So where do we go from here? I mean when you as a Christian I think that so many of us as Christians have felt like Oh, what are we supposed to say? How do we talk about this? And how, we do live in a culture where how do we not offend? And yet, how do we be strong in our stance? So what is your suggestion to people who don't know how to talk about this? Well, I think you need to go back. And I think what's getting lost in some of the media coverage today, the events of October 7th, that was an act of terrorism. It wasn't just violence. The, the way in which it was executed and the way that the people um, not only were killed, but brutalized, it was meant to elicit terror amongst the Israeli and, quite honestly, the world populace. Um, it was an act of terror. In response to that act of terror, where you had um, the elderly, you had children not only murdered, but then taken hostage, how should Israel respond? How would America respond if someone invaded our borders and treated our citizens that way? And so what happens is there's military retaliation. We have to be smart enough to see the difference between terrorism and some of the atrocities of war. Israel didn't want to enter Gaza. They were dragged into the sink kicking and screaming because of the events of October 7th. And, and I don't know that you're left with a huge solution or an easy solution. Um, I think I said in the message, Israel's in somewhat of a lose-lose. They're surrounded by people that don't want to see them in the land. Um, uh, people that live, my Israeli friends, they often say, we have a beautiful home, but we live in a sketchy neighborhood. Yeah. And it's, they wake up every day saying, who are we at war with? completely surrounded by people who don't want them to exist in that land. And I don't think the two state kind of um, coexistence, I don't think that's proving to be really effective. So I don't think there is an easy solution to the conflict that we're seeing in Gaza and in Israel and between Palestinians and between Israelis. What I said in my sermon was there is a resolve to this. Jesus wins. 
And one of the interesting things is at the end of the day, Jesus returns to Israel, to Jerusalem. And I do believe that that's going to be the thing that resolves this conflict, because our great hope is that Christ is really going to come back and there's going to be a day there is no more terror and there are no more borders and there's no more politicians and there's no more um, debating the news. And quite honestly, all of us pastors are out of business. Because Jesus is there and he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's where we place our hope. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I also found it interesting that you said that in the Muslim religion, they believe that there is a return of Christ, too. It's a very different looking return. For sure. They they think he's coming back. They would agree with us on that. But they look at him as coming back as a prophet affirming Muhammad and Allah. They, they never recognize Jesus as God like we do. Um, and they also view Muhammad as a successor prophet, which means he can look back at respect of what the other prophets said in the Old Testament, which many Muslims do. But when he says something that differs or alters what they said, his word holds the greater weight. So that's one of the things in Islam uh, with uh, Muhammad being a successor prophet. 
they look at their religion as newer. It's kind of the new version, the improved version. And you would never go back to an iPhone 11 once you've got the iPhone 15. (laughs) And that's kind of how a Muslim would view converting to Christianity. It's like we're going backwards in the progression of God's revelation. Oh, yeah, that was another thing that you were talking about. This is they believe that this is the newer religion, like we've come back and we're fixing all the things that you got wrong. And we have this clarified. I I mean, I, I get the idea that it looks very organized. I think that if you are just comparing the two, I think of it as like my kid's room, I walk into one kid's room, and it's like she rents it and she goes to school for the day and she comes back and sleeps at night and it's everything's perfectly put away. I go to the other kid's room and it is chaos, but there's creativity among the chaos. It's, I walk in and I'm like, oh my goodness, how do you live in this room? You know? And Mm -hmm. I, I can almost like make that analogy to when I see these, when I talk to my Muslim friends, everything is very orderly, but not as creative as the other side you know there there is not as much where you can you can see god working in christianity in so many cool ways and that's what i tell people who are non-believers or new to faith i'm like the bible is there and it tells us these stories but the bible continues in our lives every day you just either choose to see it or you don't you know you have to actually be looking at these little things and i my faith journey is is new and i i know that you know i'm i started bible study when my oldest was 6 months old and we've kind of my girls and i have kind of grown up in faith together and i was telling someone the other day my oldest is so is so funny she was in school the other day and one of the boys was asked to read Psalm Psalm 119. And he said, no. And she was really mad at him. And she came home. She's like, why would he do that? Why would he say he's not going to read the Bible? And I'm like, because he's a teenage boy, you know, but I think it's just funny that she was so horrified by this. And my husband was like, do you think she's putting us on? And I said, her faith journey has been so different, but so cool to watch because at a very young age, God came into her life in such a special way. And I think that a lot of people would miss this or not see it. And I think a lot of times we don't, we miss when God works in our lives. And so we don't see those biblical miracles and little ones. And she was probably five years old and the doctor and, and the um, preschool had said, she's got to stop sucking her thumb. And she was like, mom, I can't, she's tried everything she could. And like I said, I'm new to faith, right? So to me, at that point, prayer was not the first thing we went to. And finally, it struck me. I'm like, why aren't we asking? Why do I think we can do this in our own power? And so I said, Larkin, let's sit down together and pray about it. And she prayed about it. And when she was done praying, she was like, I need to put my blanket in my closet. And that's going to help me. And she remembers to this day. I prayed and God answered. I never sucked my thumb again. Little things, little, little biblical miracles happen in your life every day if you're open to seeing them. Yeah. And, you know, you've attended our church long enough. You've probably heard us say that before we ever started the church, um, we were praying for a messy ministry. And uh, God has not disappointed in that. We have people that come from all different backgrounds and different faith journeys. 
I grew up in a Christian home. I'm glad for that. But the Christianity that I grew up with in some ways was rules. You, you do this, you don't mm-hmm. do this, you do mm-hmm. this, you don't do this, and then you're a good person. And, you know, one of the things that we hopefully you're picking up on this that we celebrate a lot at church, um, Christianity being something that God does. It's not workspace. It's him working on our behalf. When we repent of our sin, we can go to the cross and we get relief from the guilt and shame that we feel. We get relief from the guilt because Jesus took our guilt in our place. Like he paid the price for our sin. That's what the cross is all about. So we're no longer guilty because God's wrath has already been satisfied by Jesus. And by the way, we don't have to approach Jesus and or our God in shame because God has already said that he loves us. He's adopted us as family. And I don't know where to run to other than the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel to deal with my guilt and shame. And we can suppress it. We can push it down and we can think that we're good enough. One of the, one of the things that's heartbreaking is I look at the Muslim community. It is based off works. How do you ever know if you've prayed enough, if you've fasted enough, if you've done enough? And and I don't rest in any of my own accomplishments. I I rest in what Jesus has done on my behalf. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Hmm. So any obedience that we have, it's out of gratitude. It's not out of earning anything. And um, I, I don't believe, hopefully you get this as you attend our church, I wouldn't pick a lifestyle different than Christianity because I believe it's the way that you know the most joy. I really do. And that we've talked about that recently, the importance of happiness and, and the difference between happiness and joy and joy is deep and and other people see joy. They feel it. I mean, you when you know, when you meet someone and they say, I can feel something different about you, you know, it's not you. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that that's the Lord. And you're like, oh, my goodness, that's so cool. That's so neat that you see that. But I think that that's that's what I. I try to talk to people about, I'm like, this is not about just a community. It's not about just a belonging. It is about that you will see the way the path God has for you and that he loves you so much more than you even love your own kids. Like you can't imagine this kind of love and you will see that love touch you in so many different ways once you open your eyes to the fact that the love is there. And I, I just want you to know that I enjoy your sermons. I we love going to your church and the girls love it. It's been a blessing to us. So thank you so much. Well, uh, thank you. It has been uh, the joy of my life. And it's not always easy. I, I mean, just just like you, you've got your your critics and you've got the people that are not going to align with you and they're very vocal in that. But when you see lives transformed, when you see marriages saved and, and you see the work that God's doing, um, it, it's well, well worth it. Mm, absolutely. I, I have I have the easy job. I go into church every day and I speak to people that mostly align with our views, or if they don't, they kind of understand what they're going to get when they walk into a church. What you do every day, that's difficult. Uh, you're in the <laughs> storm. You're in the storm, and you're on the front lines. And and you, along with a lot of our public school teachers and our people in the medical community, um, you guys are we're lifting you up in prayer all the time. Oh, that's, that is so sweet. But it's so funny because when I, when I called you to ask you to come on, you said, you know, I don't, I don't know what this does to you if I come on and we speak openly. And I thought about that question a lot after you said it, because that has been, since I ran for office, you're so careful, so careful. And I see politicians all the time, so careful. And I'm like, is that what life is about though? Because 
ultimately, if I have this conversation with you and we bring people over to Christ, that's what life is about. So should I be careful? I'm not going to be careful. Yeah, the, I think the word is unction. You, you have your <laughs> convictions um, in spite of what the personal consequences might be. You vote convictions rather than party lines. And, and I think we need more of that, not less. I agree. I agree. Pastor Dave Wissen, thank you for being on today. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. For this episode and others, check out TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And join us next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Have a blessed day. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.